welcome to Let's Talk Church. I'm Brian. And I'm Matt. We're here to talk about all that is going on in the church world. In this podcast, we find blog posts, articles, and vicious rumors about the church world, and we talk about it. All right, Matt, let's do it. Let's talk church. Hello, everybody. We are back once again. It's been... What, almost three weeks since you and I have gotten together and gotten to, to record for this podcast. How have you been? Me? I am tip-top shape, tibbity-libbity, all that good stuff. <laughs> Sounds like it's been a good time. Well, sometimes. Yeah, so we uh, we took a break last week. We, uh, we both got a little busy. So it's a good thing we hadn't really got our live stuff figured out yet or we'd be... We'd be up a creek, but that's okay. We're still working out that. So we disappoint our one our one listener. That's right. <laughs> so I have spent I've spent a lot of time, Matt, for our other podcast. I know we try and, and get it in at both of our both of our podcasts about which one is which. Um, our other podcast, Faith Frauds and Falsehoods, we're we're prepping to talk about Jim Jones. Jim Jones. On May, whatever day that we're talking about him. May 1st, actually. So, I have been reading and listening to stuff about Jim Jones, and my goodness, man. It's a lot. So, I'm, I'm excited for it. Y'all need to come and listen to us on that podcast. We get real deep, real quick. Well, our last podcast was about uh, <laughs> Tony Alamo, Susan and Tony Alamo. On that one, and you wrote quite an extensive uh, blog post on that. Yeah, you set yeah. the bar kind of high there, buddy. So uh, I'm gonna expect a uh, formal dissertation on Jim Jones when we're done. I even noticed you cited your sources. It's just uh, old habits die hard since since you're doing your seminary, huh? Well, you know, I find it important to uh, let people know that it actually came from a legitimate source. So. Plus, it gives hey. them a chance to go and look for it themselves. Look, look, Brian, let your nerd flag fly high. It's all right, buddy. Uh, you, you do have a point. In, in a world where so many people will just say any old thing, yeah, having some reference for something, it's important. It is. Now, if we could just teach this to CNN and Fox News, we'd have a better planning. <laughs> Uh, their their ratings wouldn't be near as good. And they wouldn't make as much money. So they probably wouldn't do it anyway if they knew how. True. But you know, we're sitting here talking about the way they do their jobs. We're kind of judging them a little bit, right? True. Doesn't your Bible say, Thou shalt not judge? It does, lest you be judged by the same measure. No, stop all that now. We're not supposed to add to what we're saying. Don't don't keep on with the scripture there. Stop at the part where it makes my point. Oh, okay. Yes, sir. We're, we're supposed to go the humanly way here. This is the way the world does, right? Anytime right. they hear something they don't want to hear, well, the Bible says thou shalt not judge, but they don't listen to the rest of that, right? Right. And I tell you, the Bible says an awful lot of things, and what, what we're going to talk about tonight is church discipline. Right? Discipline in the church, church discipline, discipline in general, that sort of thing, right? Yep, I think so. We did focus on church discipline, or are we focusing on like 
self-discipline? Are we talking about all those know. things? I'm sure, I'm sure it'll all come into play. Well, in the this area of church is discipline. This free-flowing than the other one. <laughs> yeah. In the area of church discipline, one, one thing that I find very interesting is that whole thou shalt not judge thing. And that is that we are specifically called to judge each other within the church. Mm-hmm. And we're specifically called not to judge outside the church. Yep. See, this concept that sin is sin, to God, all sin qualifies you to hell for hell. Okay? You're born into sin, and it's not, oh, you did X, Y, and Z. It's that you're sinful. Mm-hmm. But as humans, we want to categorize things and put it in different order. And, well, this sin's worse than that sin and worse than this sin. That sort of thing. Right. But we're not talking about salvation here. We're talking about within the church. And within the church, we absolutely should be judging each other. And there is a process for church discipline. Um, I think some churches follow it and some churches don't, just like a lot of things in, 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 in the Bible, right? Right. I've personally been in leadership in churches and had to be involved in discipline issues. And I can't tell you I've ever been ex- been happy about the process. Have I, you ever I been in, that. in such a... Have you ever been in, in, in a position, I know you've been in leadership, where you've had to enact or judge if you should enact church discipline? Yes, I have, I have been in that position... Um, as the one, at, you know, Jesus says, you know, if if you if your brother sins against you, go to him, right? I was the one against whom the sin was was made, right? I was also in leadership at the time, so I did the thing, you know, you go to the person and you explain it, and then they refuse, and then you go to the next next group, right? Which in this case was the deacons of the church. And they did nothing. So you feel like it was dropped there. Right. I would have figured you'd be the guy that they would go to and say, you need to go talk to (laughs) so-and-so. You just have that sort of personality where you you get along well with people. And I could see how people could take from you uh, the issue without being super offended. I was going to say, I, I I have been asked for my wisdom in situations... Um, I don't know that I've ever been asked to be the one, you know, please go and talk to this person on my behalf. I don't, I don't remember being that person. Doesn't mean it hadn't happened. I just don't remember. Right. I've had to do that before. I don't know if that was a wise decision for them to ask me. I'm a little hot-headed. But, (laughs) um, I will tell you that, weirdly, most of the time I've been in that, it's been... Because of accusations of sexual sin. And I guess that's a pretty common thing that's going to come out. And actually the example we have in the Bible in Corinthians is the same sort of thing, right? Right. Yep. Um, where Paul's writing to him and he says, um, I'm trying to think enough to preface it, but let's just look it up because I know it's in First yeah, Corinthians. Paul, Paul was writing on behalf of, or to the church because they had allowed a man to continue to be a part of the church who was having relations with his husband's wife. His father's wife. 
or yes, his father's wife. Sorry. <laughs> That'd be another story be, right there. It would there. be even different if it was the other way. But no, his his father's wife. Um, and Paul was pretty um, pretty direct with his his directions. Yeah, he was pretty harsh <laughs> about it. And well, I think one thing to remember is that Paul knew these people. Right. He had spent time with these people, so he was familiar with this. This wasn't just some random person here. He didn't name them, and I don't know if Paul knew his letters were going to become part of the Bible and the canon like this. No, of course not. But he didn't put his name down because everybody else knew him too. Right. Um, but, you know, so so he was familiar with this situation. I, I don't feel like he was at a rash judgment. I've read where some people say, well, you know, Paul was really quick to, to judge and that Paul was kind of the worst type of fundamentalist. And I take that as a compliment, but, <laughs> you know, um, Paul was pretty, pretty, you know, he, he declared himself an apostle and he constantly reiterated who he was and that he, he had authority. Right. He, he didn't declare himself an apostle. You know, we can get into Galatians. You know, he was made an apostle by Christ, right? But as, as no one else was really around to experience that moment in which Christ called Paul as an apostle, um, Paul had to iterate it himself and say, Christ did this to me, Christ did this for me. So I can see how some people pick it up as Paul declared himself an apostle. Well, no, I don't mean it as in he gave himself something he didn't have. I didn't right. mean it like that. But I mean that he stated it a lot. He he often in his yes, letters was, stated who he was. Yes, he was very and clear about why he I had authority. Right. right, and and why he had authority. Yep. Um, and there's some dynamics in that we can go into in a, in a later podcast about the dynamics of leadership and authority. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that could be a, a good subject, as a matter of fact. I'm gonna take a take a note from the Areopagus and start putting a quarter in a jar every time we come up with new topics. <laughs> a quarter in the jar. Yeah. Do you Early have ep- any? Do I have any? No, but I could find some. Uh, I mean, but early episodes of the Areopagus. That was a running joke. Oh, every time they talk about something else to talk about. Yep. Well, I mean. We have to like contribute a piece of a Bitcoin or something. I don't have any quarters around here. This ain't right. 2004. Um, there's no payphones to put them in. Right. The only quarters I come across I ever keep is if they're before 19, uh, was it 1965? Yeah, something like that. I only keep the 1976 quarters. The bicentennials. The, oh, no, no, the no, bicentennial, no. the special quarter. Yep. You want the ones before 65 because they're silver. Right, but the bicentennials have some sentimental value to me for some reason. I wasn't even alive then. Someone gave me one when I was a kid, and it just stuck. And so those are the ones that I collect. Neat. Yeah. If I come I across them, I'll, I'll keep them. If I come across them, I'll keep them for you. Cool. Uh, so anyways, <laughs> on church discipline... So I've been involved with the local church, and most of our viewers know I've always been involved with the local, you know, small Baptist churches. And I remember it, it always seems to come across hurtful. Discipline is a hard thing. I remember there was one meeting, and I can't go into all the details, obviously, but a member was accused of some things. 
not necessarily by another church member, but by somebody in the public. And it was decided that because of the accusations, until it was figured out by the law, we couldn't right. have them in a position of leadership. And their position of leadership consisted of being a musician in the church. So okay. they were on stage, and the thought process yep. was if they're on stage, they're leadership. And because the possibility that they might be guilty could make the church look bad, it might distract somebody from the gospel, and so we need to pull them off, off the stage. Okay. And this gravely hurt the person. And I should mention that the person was later uh, found to not be guilty of such a thing at all. The, the law found no, no evidence of such. But the damage was done. Right. They were not excommunicated from the church, but effectively they were. They were told they couldn't serve anymore. And they didn't find a place. You know, All they found was condemnation when they came to church because people thought they were guilty. And by us taking the action of pulling them off of the stage, that made the congregation think that the leadership thought they were guilty, too. Right. So I don't think we made a wise decision in that. Yeah, it's a... Um, It's a very difficult thing to do. Because there, there are so many variables that you have to weigh... Like in in this particular case, the variable of the church's image outweighed this guy, this person. Yeah. Right? And, you know, whether that was the right thing or not, you can't go back and change it, right? You can only look at it and say, what could we do in the future that would be better? Now, I'll give you another example wasn't so much a church discipline, but what people thought should be a church discipline is that I was part of a church that, again, i got to talk in somewhat generalities, but some of our listeners will know who who this is. And I will say that the person, this was public at the time. So while I won't name their names, I'm not giving away anything nobody knows. Right. Um, We had a leader in the church, a pastor in the church, who had served in prison and been convicted of horrific crimes and had absolutely repented of that but that didn't change that they'd been convicted of those crimes and had served their time and had served their time and did what they needed to do well then when they were put into a leadership position in the church we had people from outside the church who came and literally defaced the church they took manure and spread all over the signs and the windows and the doors and everything in retaliation because this person was put in charge of that local congregation Mm. and it was complicated you know there were some people within the church who said well to preserve the image of the church we need to not do this why do we do this in the first place but I will say in 2nd Corinthians Paul comes back and says look I'm paraphrasing but look once, once once your brother is repented Bringing mm-hmm. back in the fold. Right. You know? Um, let's see. Here it is, because I did pull this one up ahead of time. This is uh, 2 Corinthians 2, starting in verse 5. He says, If anyone has caused grief, he has not so much grieved me as he has grieved all of you to some extent, not to put it too severely. The punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient. 
Now instead, you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him. See, we're not... We're not God. Right. Right? And if they've repented of their sins, we should take that repentance. The Lord forgives them, and we should bring them into the fold. Now, that's mm-hmm. easy to say when the person was a petty thief and stole something. Right. Much harder to say when they were a sexual offender. Mm-hmm. You know? I know. Um, and previous church I've been part of, we had several people who were sexual predators and had repented and they had to go to church somewhere you know but there were some people who thought we shouldn't allow them to come to our church right but that's not the way that's not how jesus works no don't be wrong there are consequences for your sin and when you commit a, a crime like that there will be consequences your entire life you'll be on a list for the rest of your life mm-hmm. you will have to pay for that sin Right? Right. But God didn't condemn you to hell over that, and he didn't excommunicate you from your from his church if you repent. Right. And so with repentance, they should be welcomed back into the church. And that doesn't mean we put them in charge of the children's program. Of course. You know, we've right. got to have some, some, some protection for our other members as well. But on the same hand, we're not being the church if we throw those people out. I know other churches who have thrown those people out because they want to protect the image of their church. Mm-hmm. And I don't think you're serving Jesus when you do that. You're serving self. Right. On the other side of that is, uh, and I should mention that that church did decide to keep them in leadership uh, at that time um, and not let that become the stumbling block. But uh, on the other hand, as if as the church in Corinth had, your church does become a laughing stock, and when your church becomes a laughing stock, Jesus becomes a laughing stock. Um, whenever you allow your church members to live in open sin, mm-hmm. and the church does nothing about it, uh, I read an example about David and Bathsheba, okay, and about how David, with his sin of Bathsheba actually called caused God's name to be blasphemy by other leaders. Right. Because of his sin. Mm-hmm. Sin always spreads. Yes. Sin begets sin. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I always say uh, success begets success and failure begets failure. Sin is failure. Yep. You know? If you tell people about the love of Jesus, you tell people what Jesus did for them, that will spread, okay? As people build a relationship with Jesus, naturally other people in their life are going to start building relationships with Jesus, right? But the same thing happens with sin. Well, look at the examples in the Bible. How many times have we seen an example where somebody, you know, learned about Jesus and they went home and told all their family about it, so then they decided to follow as well? You know, it's happened over and over. Right. Again. I'm sure you've seen it in church before. How many times when somebody came to church and then all of a sudden they had a conversion experience and then the next week they brought their whole family. And now you got mama and daddy and the two kids and everybody's, you know, everybody's following Jesus. It it, it happens in families. We I don't want to stray too far off here, but we rarely 
we rarely experience this by ourselves. We talk about it being a personal relationship, and it is, but it's a community relationship too. Yep. You know? Um, and I know you and I look a little differently on some of that, but we also share a lot of oh, beliefs yeah. on that too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, a, a lot of that. So, uh, But anyways, but sin spreads. And so if you allow sin to, in your church then it makes your church a laughingstock and it makes God a laughingstock. Um, where do you think the line exists for that? Def- define the line. How far do we let people see it? I mean, what is a big enough uh, thing the church okay. needs to deal with? Well, let's let's roll that back right. a minute. Right. You okay. said you mentioned earlier that there's there's a set process on how to deal with this. Because mm-hmm. you mentioned earlier that you had an issue you went to the person, they didn't do anything. So then you went to the, uh, a few other people, trusted people. This would be the deacons, not the whole church. Yep. And they didn't do anything. And you felt like they should have because that was step two of the three-step process, right? Right. So you want to go over the three-step process that the Bible lays out for us? Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you just did the first two. You know, the third Sorry. is to make it before the, the whole congregation, right? The whole assembly, the whole ecclesia, if we want to get into the Greek. Um you know, and, and allow the entirety of the group to pass judgment. Um, but that's that's a that's a difficult thing to do in a case like mine where the second step was a failure in the process. Right? Because the, the second step in, in my case cut it off and said this is no big deal. Right. Well, and that's the thing. As we read about that process in the Bible, we see the failures being where the other person doesn't repent of the sin. Right. It really doesn't address whatever the people you go to to be the second step doesn't help you with the second step. Right. That's really not addressed in the Bible. Nope. No, which is um, interesting because that, that shows you know the expectation when Jesus said these words was you know if you've been sinned against and you tell other people they're going to help you <laughs> um, because in the spiritual growth and spiritual walk we're supposed to be looking out for each other because like you said we're not in this alone so yeah. you know uh, it didn't go any further in my case um, and I shortly left the church because of it. You know, I mean, if, if the church is not willing to do something, right, then it clearly shows their intention is not spiritual growth of the assembly, but more just to be there as a country club. And that's what happens to a lot of churches. We had a... Mm-hmm a great revival in the United States back in the 70s. We had a... You disagree with that? The things that I have been reading make me question whether it was a real revival or if it's all just messed up. (laughs) Oh, no. No, I don't. I don't question that at all. Look, I know there was a lot of kooks, too. But anytime there was a springing of the spirit moving... There's going to be a lot of the stuff like that. Look at what happened right. in Acts 
whenever the Holy Spirit started working. I mean, just a couple pages over, and we got, what was that dude's name? Simon. I was thinking Simon, yeah. Simon Where all of a sudden he wants to be a part of this, right? But he didn't actually get it. Right. And he was a fraudster before this. He just wanted, he's like, oh, this is working. I could use this for my, for me. Yep. You know, so this is not a, nothing new under the sun, right? So we had a lot of, you know, fraudsters and stuff. That's what we covered in our other podcast that happened in the 70s. A lot of the cults we're going to talk about started back then. But I think a lot of legitimate churches did. Go talk to some old people, man. Go talk to some boomers and talk about where they came to Christ. And you will constantly find there was a lot happening back then and a lot of people who came to Christ back then. I very much think there was there was a revival. I forget where I was going with this point about the revival. Oh, well, about dead churches. So we had this revival happen. And we start, and when all of a sudden, I mean, we had a few churches in America before. It's not like Christianity didn't exist. We had a long history of it. Yeah. But, man, it just exploded with local congregations. We had a lot of growth in different denominations. Some new denominations pop up. We had a lot of little local churches uh, pop up that we didn't have before. And not everyone was 100% correct, but I will tell you, there was a lot of people seeking God through that. But what happened is... A lot of them didn't have great leadership, and a lot of them did a lot back then and then died. You know, Mm -hmm. it's different reasons for different ones, and there's some overall things, some cultural things that changed. But a lot of those churches nowadays that are still around are just clinging on by a thread. I just read about a church in uh, New York City, 140-year-old Presbyterian congregation. They got this church building there. It's 140 years old, and it's in the National Historic Landmarks. They need $50 million worth of work done to it just to bring it up to being usable. Mm. For almost 20 years, it's had scaffolding on the outside of the building just to hold the building together. Right. And finally, they and it's surrounded by skyscrapers. So finally, they've sold the building. They're down to, oh, I should mention, they have no pastor, and they're down to 12 people. And they're Presbyterians. Don't they appoint their pastors anyway? I don't remember. It, they're, they're congregation-led, so the churches do elect the pastors. Okay. But it, yeah. But anyways, they're down to 12 members with no pastor. And they've decided to sell, but basically give away the building to get out of the liability, the $50 million liability that they're under. And in exchange for this, the developer who's going to build apartments there is going to give them a community room to use to host church so they can keep their church in the community. Mm. They're hanging on by a thread. Right. And without even knowing this, because they didn't say that, I almost guarantee you the average age of that church is, is quite up there, that they probably don't have any young families and things. Because if they did, they wouldn't be in this predicament. Yep. You know, that's an example of a church that's going the way. And I think that one of the things that kills the church is not enacting church discipline. Right. You know, yep. putting up with any old thing. Um, I think that's something that, that can be harmful. Right. So you asked me where the line is. And... Sadly, 
I think your question falls into that American, we want to categorize everything, right? We want to set a, this is the line, don't cross it kind of attitude. I, I don't think that's what you're meaning, but that's what your question is, mm -hmm. right? Is, you know, is it okay for, you know, the pastor to uh, have an affair with his secretary? No. Right. Yeah. Is it okay for him to maybe accidentally tell a, a little white lie from the pulpit? Eh, we could probably get okay, get away with that, right? We want to make this line, but there shouldn't even be a line, right? And you know this this gets into um. As, as my friend Adam likes to say, Adam, if you're listening, you know this, right? Orthodoxy is hard. <laughs> um, he likes to talk about his Episcopalian church being super easy, right? Easy going, easy to work with. Um, orthodoxy, right, from my understanding of it, is very focused on repentance, right? You got that book how to be a sinner, right? I don't know if you finished it yet. Um, you know, the whole point of that book is to show you how much repentance is really needed every day, right? And I hope that it did that. Um, and so, you know, in orthodoxy, in ancient Christianity, that line didn't exist, right? There was there was never a point at which from here forward you're most certainly excommunicated, right? That line moves, right, based on the need of the church, as sad as that is. Generally, it's very, very harsh, right? Because your repentance should be daily, and so that little white lie from the pulpit or from the lecture. the term white lie. That, that right. little lie. It, well, right, that, that lie, right, that, that moment of untruth, right, for some people could be the straw that breaks the camel's back, right? It could be, you know... Pastor's really just not a very nice guy. He's he's not really working for us, and we think that it's time to to move on, right? Um, it could be that moment in confession, right, in which you're standing before Christ and you're you're saying, you know, I've not done all of these things, right? But I I I, I did lie, right? And as I think about it, that lie was really based on fear because I didn't trust you, right? I didn't trust you to care for my needs. And so I lied to get what I wanted, which is really, really more based on pride, right? You know, and you begin to realize even the smallest quote unquote sin, right? Quotes around smallest, not around sin, <laughs> you know, you, you begin to realize that it's so much 
deeper, deeper in your heart than our American idea of a little sin, a big sin, a mortal sin, a carnal sin, a fleshly sin, a spiritual sin, blah, 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 right? It all boils down to something deep in the heart of being opposed to God. And so repentance is a big deal. And that's Paul says, you know, when someone repents, open your arms to them, right? Because when you truly repent and you truly realize and recognize how deep this sin goes, you want to be better. You want to do right. You want to follow Christ. You want to be a part of the community. And so you should be. You should be allowed to come back in. But where that line is, I, I, I don't think that I could give an, a taxonomy of the breakdown. <laughs> I see your point, and I agree that repentance is important, especially in, rev, in relation to your repentance to the Lord, not necessarily in your apology to each individual person, although that can be important too. Um, but I think it is important to define... And the last thing you brought up there was about you wanting to to not sin. There is the thought process of a saved person, of someone who is in relationship with Christ, is wanting to not sin, versus it is really easy to let it, to not care about it, right? Um, and that's the difference. I don't think that anybody is going to be completely free of sin, Right. Right. No, we're not saying anybody can can be completely free. But the deal is that you want to be completely free and that you actively work to grow yourself. Um, and it changes over time, too. You know, what, 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 what the Lord calls us out on kind of changes over time as we grow and mature in Christ. Right. Um, well, but I, but I want to mention that it's not like we have to be self-deprecating all the time. Or right. in a negative yeah. thing, it's not like every day I gotta get up and say, "Lord, I'm a sinner because of this, 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 and this." I do need to acknowledge my sins to the Lord, but it's but but we have to understand that the Lord extends us grace. The grace is not an excuse for us to sin, but it's also not an excuse to beat ourselves up over it. Right. Once we do repent of that sin, we don't have to constantly be groveling. He doesn't require that of us. Yeah. Well, and I think. You know, church, church discipline, again, you know, in the more American idea, right, is the punishment after the fact, right? It's, you've sinned, so therefore do this, right? It's that very Western legalistic mentality, right? It's just, it's naturally built into us, right? And so... I view church discipline on the front side, right? That you should be learning each and every day how do you how do you pray more? How do you worship more? How do you confess more? How do you see yourself 
in the proper light more so that you're disciplining your mind and your body into not sinning so that you never reach that line in which you have to be excommunicated. And that's that different meanings of discipline, right? Right. Uh, discipline as in a punishment or a corrective action. Right, yeah. Because discipline, discipline is different than punishment. But right, yeah. more of a, a corrective, corrective action. Right. Um, versus discipline of building good habits. Mm-hmm. And getting into the right place, your right mind, the right ways of doing things, mm-hmm. building a discipline. So those are, are kind of you know, different definitions of discipline, I think. I do think, what do, what do you think about uh, some churches in America practice not just excommunication, but shunning on top of that? And Paul mentions not, <laughs> not having anything to do with people like that. So some there. some play, some pe- some congregations take that to mean we should shun people. What's your thoughts? There is historic precedent for both, right? In the Bible, in the Old Testament, the Jewish people were commanded when certain sins are committed, right? that person is to be cut off from the community. In some cases, that is by death. Most cases, the vast majority of those cases, it is through exile. It is expulsion from the community, inability to participate in the sacrifices and the Passover, and the community is to have nothing to do with them. Right. So Paul is getting his thoughts from the active Jewish context, right, of the Second Temple period. So, modern churches, right, some of them do still participate in that. Um, Some simply excommunicate and don't shun. Um, I, I think... I think there is a legitimate case to be made for both. Well, I think that Paul, when he later came back and said that, you know, hey, when they repent, you should bring them in, I think shunning excludes the opportunity for that to happen. You wouldn't even know if they repented if you completely shunned them. Um, and also, just because it was a something that happened even in the Bible that the Jews did, even if it was commanded for the Jews to do it in the Bible, does not mean that it's appropriate now. And uh, an ad, yeah, like let's talk about stoning. You you try to make it nice by talking about even unto death, but let's talk about how we gather around in a circle and we throw stones at somebody because they're a sinner, right? Right. And Jesus approached that because I think Jesus was kind of of the mind of y'all got this wrong, you know. He walked up. There's a story in the Bible where he walked up and these people were about ready to stone this woman. And he didn't allow that to, to happen. Right? They weren't worthy of doing that. Right. And as a result, the church that Jesus founded, we don't stone people. Nope. Um, we, don't, we don't even have a, a, a physical death penalty 
but the only... but the tradition of our church has enacted a physical death penalty in the past more than once. Right. Yep. I'm not trying to say all traditions are bad, even though that's the side I lean on, and we all know this. But you have to admit that some only traditions were misguided. Yes. Um, yes. Sometimes we've suffered under bad leadership. And actually, on top of what we're talking about, we've suffered because we've allowed sin to propagate right. in the church. We allowed sin to put in popes into power who probably weren't qualified to be the pope. Who were right. living a life of open sin, but got the seat in the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we refuse to put out, we refuse to, to, to enact any sort of church discipline way on earlier in the pattern. Right. You know, we've allowed corruption to come into our churches. I mean, so many churches have fallen because we've allowed this to happen. What was a little thing we allowed to become a big thing and destroyed the whole church. Look, look at what's happening with Hillsong right now. Mm. Just yet another, yet another. Yep. It's fallen into sexual sin, which Paul talked about 2,000 years ago. This same sort of thing. And we still doing the same problems. As a church, we have still yet to learn these lessons. I, it, it, it makes me wonder why the Lord would love us as he does. <laughs> Read the Bible over and over again. The Jews are just disappointing God. Over and over, he says, I'm going to set a covenant. Okay, y'all broke all that. I'm going to set a covenant. Okay, y'all screwed up. I'm going to set a covenant. And every time, we just... Yep. You know? So roll us back onto a positive note so we don't have to end this podcast on that negative note that we're just failures to the Lord for everything. Well, I mean, you've been reading your book, apparently. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, No, you know, we... We do struggle, right? We do struggle each and every day. Every one of us, you know, if if you say that you don't, you're a liar and you don't know God, right? That's John's words, not mine. Um, but like you said, God loves us, right? And my, pa- my pastor said something very similar to that this morning. Oh. Oh, I'm about to go back and see what he said. He said something very, very similar to that line. And I was like, okay. He was he was on a very big roll this morning. I bet you he makes Christianity today in the next week mm. over his sermon this morning. He was he gave a very unorthodox uh, Easter sermon. Oh. Or Palm Sunday. Yeah, Palm Sunday, leading up to Easter sermon, whatever we want to call it. He it was not the story he should have been I don't say he should have been. Traditionally, you would have been talking about palm leaves, right? Yeah. And Jesus triumphant entry into Jerusalem and all this, and that is not where he went. Uh, he he preached out of Romans, and he's he's been on Romans for a while. Um, cool. Yeah, I'll, no, I'll that, send you a link to it. Sorry to get off track there, but he no, said that good. same uh, thing yeah, this that morning. Verse comes from First John, so. Um, uh, but. You know, we know, right, same thing. I mean, just a couple of verses later in First John, I say a couple, it's several verses. Um, you know, John describes God as being love. Not being loving, right? It's not a participle. You know, I can break out my Greek Bible if we want. 
it's it's a noun, right? God is love, right? He he loves us, right? And so we can look at at Jesus's words all throughout the Bible or the Gospels, and we see his directive to people who who come to him and say, "How do I be saved?" Almost every single one of them is follow me, right? Strive to be better. Striving is work. It's effort. You know, you don't go... I was fixing to make a a gym analogy, but you and I both know neither of us go to the gym, so that's probably not worth (laughs) talking about. You know, a programming analogy, you don't just sit down and write a million lines of code, right? You start with something basic and you build from that. Um, you know, the same is, is with your discipline, your spiritual walk, right? When you fall, right, when you fail at fasting one day, you say, I'm going to do better tomorrow. And you do better tomorrow, right? It's, it's not an all or nothing, right? It's a life. We're here until God takes us home. Our job is to follow him. And sometimes we're going to stumble, and that's okay. We have to get back up and keep going. And, you know, some of the greatest leaders in the church uh, that we see in the Bible are people who stumbled over and over again. We mentioned David earlier, but David was loved dearly by God. Mm -hmm. We mentioned Paul. Even Paul... Paul was a persecutor of the church. He says, while he tells everybody he's an apostle and all this, he also says, I'm the least of the apostles because right. I've spent my life persecuting. He, he is the least of the apostles and calls himself the greatest of sinners. Yeah. And then we look at Peter. That fool, he's just always messing up. He'd mess up right in front <laughs> right. of Jesus. You know? Yeah. Yet he has a you know, position of high esteem. And so it's important to know that the Lord loves you anyway. And while absolutely we should repent, he accepts that repentance Mm -hmm. from us over and over again. His grace is not a finite thing. Right. Uh, It it is there in, in plenty. Yep. Yeah, I wish I, you know, we went to that art festival and there was a book that I thought about buying but it's such a hard book to read. I decided not to. And I wish that I had because St. John Clemicus, uh, John of the Ladder, he writes extensively on this topic. And I would love to be able to read what he wrote. I listened to something from uh, a teaching on him this weekend. And it's just, it's incredible. You know, you take it one step at a time and you draw closer to God be more like Jesus every day. I think that's a good stopping point for the podcast right there. There we go. All right, y'all. Well, thanks for listening.